This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Braintree. Looking to set up payments for your business? Braintree gives your app or website a payment solution that accepts just about every payment method with one simple integration. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com slash supertrain. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. That's good. Having a coffee. Yeah, you know, that seems like something to do. We have our uh, our teacher conference today, and I always get nervous on teacher conference day. Uh, what do you think is, what's there to be nervous about? Well, you know how it is in life. You, you always kind of hope that things will go as well as you could dream, and, mm-hmm. and you you fear that it's as bad as you imagine. Mm-hmm. And they always, they almost always go really well, but still you worry about the one where you go in there like, well, we all have some concerns about your child. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no. We haven't gotten that one yet, but you know, sometimes oh, yeah. you eavesdrop a little bit and you hear the other ones. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm always waiting, you know, cause she's been, um, she's a good kid, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm always nervous cause I feel like I'm on trial. I feel yeah. defensive is the wrong word. But I feel a little defensive. I'm like, mm-hmm. ooh, ooh, yeah, well, you give dumb homework. Uh-huh, right. Yeah, so, no, but, you know, I, I think it'll probably go fine. Have you had any of those experiences yet? Um, let's see. I, yeah, teacher conference. Went to a teacher conference. Um, skipped the PTA meeting so far. Mm. Uh, teacher conference. You should, you should really treat yourself to at least a few of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know they're in my future. I, there was just one that was like, oh, a great one. Hey, uh, come to the PTA meeting tonight if you want to order uh, bottles of wine with your child's picture on them. Oh, that's, that's right, it's right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> because love they photos. make lovely gifts. This is your last chance. This Listen, is what we're makes not me drink. Send, we're not going to send you another email. <laughs> this is only the eighth. Here comes the big nine. So many limited opportunities every week. And so I said... This is uh, this is a PTA organization. I'm gonna. I'll get involved. Not quite yet. I made that mistake uh, when I was when we were in pre-K, and I went in and said, "Sure, I'll join the executive board." I told you this. I'm sure. <laughs> I went in and sat down at the first meeting, and they were running the meeting like full-on Robert's Rules of Order. Oh wow. And um, just real quickly, if without revealing too much, was your pre-K of any particular stripe methodology philosophy? Mm-hmm. Was it sort of mm-hmm. allied with any big ideas? Uh, the big idea it was a cooperative preschool. Yeah, me too. Which means that everybody was all hands on deck. Got to work. But I was in this executive board meeting, the first one, and they started running down the minutes and the and. Uh, I could not I felt I felt that feeling that you that maybe it was like a bad dream where you were in fifth grade and you had been mistakenly put in fifteenth grade. Oh yeah. Where I was like, what are we wait, 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 I I drifted off there. What what are we talking about? And uh, and you know, then my eyes were were like uh I was I was falling asleep in my chair. My eyes were like un- uncontrollably drooping and like 45 minutes into an hour-long meeting, I said, I can never be here again. I, uh, this has been a horrible mistake. But it, it turned out that, uh, that my daughter's mother, 
goes to those things all the time and she she happily not happily but mm-hmm. she took my place and no one even noticed one thing we have in common we both have young daughters and we both have uh, baby mamas who are how shall i say and i i mean this as the extreme compliment that it is Cap- i hope capable they're capable um <laughs> they they go places and they do stuff and they don't piss and moan about minor inconveniences whereas we've Wouldn't made a career be. out of that wouldn't that be something? And she's my, my <laughs> wife. She, 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 she goes to some meetings and she, she goes to a lot of meetings. You know, there's one kind of meeting where like, like, uh, like you go and you like, you're the guest speaker and like, that's a fun kind of meeting. Mm. Oh, I but like those. Yeah, right. Exactly. That, that's the podcasters type of meeting. Yeah. Guest speaker. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, but, uh, a lot of those kinds of meetings, um, they have a certain valence to them that are not well suited to people like you and me. Mm-hmm. Nobody there is necessarily like happy to be there, but they, they're more grown up about it. They handle it better. And on occasion, I, I'm sure I've told you this story, but on occasion I would, you know, I went, with the, with the uh, preschool, it was a, it was a co-op like yours and you got to help out. I mean, yeah, stuff sure. does not get done unless everybody does more than they need to, because there are a lot of people aren't who are supposed to be doing what they need to. And you end up doing more than you need to do than you need to do. So that's mm-hmm. just a do 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 do. I was at a, a dinner party not yeah. very long ago in a cabin, which wait for it. Didn't have a dishwasher. Hmm. Now, it's been a long time since I've been someplace that didn't have a dishwasher mm, because it's a different state of mind. Yeah, I'm a I'm a downtown person, and uh, we live in a you know in a in the rarefied air of the ivory tower of Seattle. Um, it's one of the two towers, mm-hmm. and I uh, so I'm at this party, and you know we're making dishes faster than we're making any other thing. Was this your meat centric um, uh, wedding party? Well. Same cabin, different okay. event. Okay, we were making we were making plates at the at the at the boy party, and yeah, there was a certain amount of like, all right, we got to do the dishes. One of the guys at the at the uh, at the boy party was a nag, right about the dishes and stuff. Me, so me, all right. Yeah. But then we were at a we were at a, a party at the same place a few weeks later. It was a uh, it was a mixed gender party. And we were just making, we were making dirty dishes like you're going out of style because it was one of those dinner parties where we're making the food all communally, making the food, making some pasta, making some sauce, making some cake. That's making that's, some that's a lot chicken. of dishes. Making, 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 and these dishes needed to get done. And I jump over and I start doing dishes, and you know it's a it's like riding a bike, right? I, I haven't sat in a in a sudsy sink. And done dishes in a long time, but you don't forget how to do it. And it and it's like back in the you know I was back in the dishes. Mm-hmm. It felt real. It kind of felt real good. I was always I was always too meticulous about doing the dishes. Interesting. And I never understood when people would say you're being too meticulous. I would say. How how can you be too meticulous in cleaning dirty p- dishes? I mean, I just want to make sure that they're they're very clean. And they're like, yeah, I've been watching you. You've been you've washed that one dish for three minutes. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it takes 
Three minutes a dish. This is this is how you get on the moon, <laughs> right? I mean, you don't you don't get on the moon by just sloshing some water around. No, that's right. You make sure every inch of that dish is clean at a molecular. You've level. got the right stuff. So I'm doing the dishes. I'm, I'm making my way through it. The, the 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 problem with spending three minutes per dish is that three quarters of the way through a big pile of dishes, your hands are fully saturated. Mm-hmm. Like my hands were like, ugh. Um, but you know, on, on, on I go, right? Mm-hmm. Semper Fi. Yep. Do or die. And, uh, and it was, it was, uh, it was, it was super gratifying, but it, it was, um, there was a, there's, there's a methodology and there's a way, you know, there's like a, uh, every house has a different style. And, oh, so different. You know, and so, and I'm stacking them up over here, but that's not where they go. Well, you start with something as simple as uh, bottoms up, bottoms down. That's that, or you know, you get into stuff like what what silver silverware makes sense to you to go to this place. Like, why would you keep your knives there? But I think bottoms up, bottoms down. I used to be a I used to be a bottoms up person, and now I think those people are monsters. If you wash a cup, why would you put the lip of the cup on the filthy, like when you put it away? Like, would you put it in the cupboard like lip down that's that's so gross you know what i'm talking about well i know it all too well because i am a bottoms up person interesting it's time for this country to come together why why would you put a coffee mug in the cupboard where all of the detritus that falls from the sky oh i see you you worry about gravity plus the flies Mm. and the like geckos yeah like any anything that wants to get in the, that the, cup. the night geckos well shit the the woofers and the tweeters come out of your speakers in the middle of the night and yeah. they're going around licking all the rims that's right. what they do they lick the rims they climb into your cups and pots dander back into the speakers in the morning before you get down yeah yeah so no you put the lips down <sighs> yeah and then all that stuff they're just you know they're like Oh, you see them all, the geckos and the, the tweeters, they're all like clawing at the cup. Let me in, let me in. I want to get on the, get in the cup. And it's like, sorry, buddy, butt up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, at that particular event, was there, um, was there a sense that somebody will take care of this? No. Because sometimes that, that's what happens when you get an event like that is, and, and you, actually this does, there's a thread that runs through all of this, which is like being around people who have just as strong a feeling about how to do this as you do. And it's very, very different, like a different feeling about how this should go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do. Like if there's well, somebody so- there who's like never washed a dish in their life, they're like, they're going to think that's an affront. That's an attack. That's a punishment. Oh, I see. Doing dishes. Just any of it. Just any of it. Yeah. Or, or whether it's going to the meeting where they talk for literally 45 minutes about how to deal with the fact that the chickens are pooping in the yard and it gets on the children's shoes. I did feel like that was a punishment. Mm. See, the first party I went to, the nag guy, the naggy guy, was the one that was like, well, your mom doesn't live here. Mm. Where I was like, all right, pal. But the second one, it's like, we're at a, we're at a dinner party, and it's fancy, fancy enough. We're making our own pasta. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm not going to be the one that's sitting in the chair uh, pretending, <laughs> pretending to nap. When the dishes need to get washed, 
you know, I'm not going to be the one that's like, huh, what? Doesn't that just take care of itself? You yeah, know, like, I had, like you're trying not to get called on in class, like not well, getting noticed. Yeah, you don't want to be that. You mm-hmm. want to be the one that's like, wait, uh, that's a step ahead of the game. Like, here, let me get in there. Let me get, let me, let me take then, care of this. Then there's there's the guy that I've been, which is uh, seems only slightly better, but is actually much worse. Which is, um, do you guys want me to do the dishes? It's like, no, no, no. You relax. Somebody else will do the dishes. <laughs> Never ask. Does no. somebody want me to get more beer? No, yeah, that, no, no. You just, you just, you just sit here and play DJ. Oh, that's right. That is a job, though. Never occurs to me to be DJ. Mm, really? Uh, no. I leave that to people that have stronger feelings about being DJ. Mm. But when I'm appointed DJ, mm. then look out. The roof is coming off this party. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love being DJ. I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna stand in line to be DJ. And I'm not going to sit there and, you know, like, I'm not going to unzip my pants Mm-mm. to be DJ. Okay. I was I was a little bit of a hero at my niece's wedding a couple of years ago because I was the only person who had such great heights on their phone. Oh. That's that's I the did. age we live in now. It's like there's a call. There's a call out. The the bride has had a couple of drinks and she really wants to hear such great heights. And yeah. was, oddly enough, the DJ didn't have it. This is a call to all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a little, she got a little tipsy. And she was like, I'm out of here, Boston Service. You guys. Hey, it's her day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you're like, step aside. Zip. Indie Man is here. <laughs> Actually, can, can I also play you uh, District Sleeps Alone? It's really good. <laughs> it's that's really, me. You, you know what? <laughs> that's that's kind of the lesser known track, but I think it's got a lot of... Can you play some of these REM demos? <laughs> Have you ever heard Guided by Voices? Oh, Gather Round. I'm going to show you guys how to kick at a party. Set aside your chicken dance. I would if I were if I were uh, DJing a wedding. I would just play "God Only Knows" on permanent loop. Mm. Oh, that's a that's a great choice. You know, you don't know where that song ends, so you could just loop if you loop it properly. Just keep going. Yeah. You, you totally could, and maybe, maybe people wouldn't notice. But you know, I, I have a. This is, I guess, kind of a bit, but I. I have a problem with wedding DJs. It's it, like every part of the getting married industry, it has a great gaping maw and giant teeth. And you, you think it's going to be a friendly dragon. You think like they say, oh, you know, we can make these petty fours just the way you want. And the buttercream's going to be exactly like your dreams. And, you know, it's like, no, no. The, and I'll never forget this. My, um, my, my primary high school uh, girlfriend got married. I went to her wedding. Did you and have a secondary high school girlfriend? I had secondary and tertiary high school girlfriends, but my, my primary high school girlfriend uh, was kind enough to, I don't know why she invited me, but I went to her wedding. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she had been like super clear with the DJ about uh, a few things. And like she, you know, you know how everybody is, whether you're, you're giving birth or you're getting married or you're making a website, you got certain things you have like not that much of a feeling about a couple things where you're like, I really want to have this one thing. Like I want a dancing panda in the header of the page. And then you might have some things where you go like, I really, it's so important to me above all else that these things not happen. Right, mm-hmm. and right. she was like, like, "No rhinoceroses." No, rhin-. she she said she's like looked into his eyes and said, "I I am the bride." I and here's 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 uh, I, I, if memory serves. It was two things. She's like, "I want you to play." At one point, I'm going to want you to play "Melt with You" by okay. Modern English. Oh, and, the the uh, the original or the the one the the redieu? 
No, I given given what I know about my primary high school girlfriend, it was it was definitely going to be the uh, yeah the original. But you, you remember you remember they came out with it again like two years later. They did a bring it on the heartbreak. That's right. That's right. right. That's right. When they came out with the next record, they they like, kind of remixed. Lot, I think a lot of people would listen to the original "Bring It On" the heartbreak and be kind of maybe even confused because it because doesn't it, have the keyboards and stuff on it. Right of the second, it's much more about the John 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 John. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a different song. And I think her other request, I see. I remember her enjoying the chicken dance, but I feel like she said something. There was some kind of one of those things that every DJ does. And let's, for the sake of this argument, let's say it's the chicken dance. She's what like, is the chicken dance? And there's a dance that goes with that, where you flap your arms. You've never done a chicken dance. What? You've, you've been at weddings like, and you've never done a chicken dance. This feels like a very regional idea of how to marry another person. It's kind of like suburban Morris dance. We really got to get back to Morris dance at some point. Is this a Macarena thing? It's like a Macarena thing. You know how Macarena is like a wedding thing now. I see. The only reason I said Macarena thing is that somehow I knew that it was a wedding thing, but I don't know about chicken dance. Okay. I don't know from chicken dances. Yeah. But you know, but you know how the DJ at a wedding, this, I mean, no disrespect to the industry of wedding DJs. I'm sure they're hardworking people, but Mm -hmm. they do have a way they like to do things and they got a bit and somebody hands them a microphone and they start running things and they become the over the top, like drive time DJ person who MCs your wedding and tells everybody when it's time to do what some people really like that, but I'm sorry to interrupt. No, please. I don't, I'm not really going anywhere with this, except I'm just want to talk about sadness. Well, but uh, he I made know. the bride very sad because because he he did the fucking chicken dance and he did not even have a copy of Modern English's "Melt With You," which seems unconscionable to me. Well, if you ask for it specifically, it does seem unconscionable. Yeah, Go but ahead. I I guess have not been to a lot of weddings. Okay, and that may seem that may seem strange, right? You, I mean, I I'm not sure. You, if I seems... tell you, that seems very strange because you are an event man. You yeah. get invited to a lot of things. You go to a lot of things. Yeah, it seems I like do. you would have been to 40 weddings yes i i you know like i i can see where it might seem like that okay but i have performed as the officiant um at mm, let's say a dozen weddings no kidding i have officiated a dozen weddings including uh, a couple of weddings of people very close to me. I, uh, the drummer of the Long Winters, I officiated his wedding. I officiated... N- Nabil or Michael? Nabil. Oh, that's Nabil's so nice. Wedding. I officiated Nick Harmer's wedding, uh, the bass player of Death Cap for Cutie. Wow. I, officiate, I have officiated a lot of weddings, but I have not been to many weddings where I wasn't officiating. Aha, uh-huh, kind of like I, going to PTA meetings, if I may say. Mm-hmm. Right, you, so, you you're experiencing this in a very different way than most people. Yeah, right. I mean, and so so I've I've always felt a little bit of responsibility for the wedding going going well. Absolutely. Uh, but that responsibility ends when they say I do, and like I don't have any sense of what the wedding DJ is doing past that point. But all of the weddings I've really all of the weddings I've ever been to have been indie rock weddings where um, like Sam Beam was the music. So like, sort you know, of, like sort of unconventional. Well, yeah, there's not 
if there's a DJ, it's someone that we all know, right? Like it's, it's right, like Chris Waller or something. Right. And why would he be a great wedding DJ? Right. Yeah. No chicken dance though. Mm -mm. And it's going to be just all David tracks from David Bowie's Berlin period. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Just 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 like (laughs) waiting for the the sound and vision. Everybody dance. (laughs) It's just music for airports. And then (laughs) when side one is over, he lets the needle run for a minute. (laughs) Here here comes this part. Here's my favorite. Bum, 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 bum. (laughs) So I, that's uh, when it really gets rocking. (laughs) I have no idea at all what a conventional wedding is like and and no kidding that's so interesting to me i hear people talk about them and i hear that you know and i hear about bridezillas and i hear that uh that drunk grooms and i I look at pictures sometimes online of wedding parties and i think why are they dressed like that Mm -hmm. and i hear that weddings are very expensive and that they're very stressful for people like i i know about weddings okay but Either I don't get invited to them, uh, conventional weddings, or maybe I have been invited to them and I didn't open the evite because I don't open evites. No, that, that's a good policy. Um, if they really or, want you to go, they'll hit you up on Facebook. You know what I'm. You know <laughs> the thing is, if you send me an evite mm-hmm. and you don't have my phone number to text me and say, "Why haven't you opened my evite?" There should be a name for this. <laughs> you don't there know should be me. a name for this phenomenon. <laughs> right? Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I don't take you off weddings, but there should be a name for this phenomenon. <laughs> you almost got me there. Like, yeah. if, you really, if you really knew me, you would never have sent this. It's like a canary well, trap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An evite, when an evite arrives in my inbox, I, I scan who it's from. I make a mental note. That person wants something, mm-hmm. wants me to either attend something or wants something from me. And then I await a second communication. I see. It's like a warning from shot. A, yeah, that's right. Like, all right. All right, Teddy. I saw that you sent me an evite. Let's, let's see how serious you are about this. <laughs> I, got a very, I got a very terse email from, uh, from a bride not very long ago saying – Reply to my email. And I said, <laughs> I, I can't find it. Mm. And she said, you bastard. Mm. It is hard enough to put mm-hmm. on a wedding. This is hard enough without 40% of the people I know not sending the card back in. The <sighs> self-addressed stamped card. Right. And then I send emails to that 40% and fully 20% don't reply to the email. Oh my goodness. And then I text that 20%. And here you and I are standing, standing on two, like, uh, two tiny little, uh, roadrunner plateaus in a, but the sky has turned red. And the ground isn't in flames. In more quotidian terms, though, it's more like she has to go door to door and like mm-hmm. stand there while you're obviously, she can see your shadow on the screen door. Like you're obviously standing there. You're like, open the fucking door. <laughs> what? What? And I'm not I here. Felt, I'm not here. <laughs> I felt so bad for, I felt badly because I understand in, in a lot of cases that I'm meant to know better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. But I don't. 
They don't know better. All by way of saying that I have never been to a wedding in an event space where the where the bride didn't know the DJ already as a friend. So I don't know. I don't know from even from Macarena. I don't wow. know from. I don't know from. I always know the parents of the of the people already. Like uh, uh, so I can't believe that at at my advanced age, I'm sitting here thinking about it. I can't think of a wedding I've been to in 25 years that didn't have some, um, where I didn't either know every single person there or where it wasn't like being held in a rowboat or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So (coughs) this episode of Roderick on the line is brought to you by Braintree code for easy mobile payments. You can learn more about Braintree right now by going to braintreepayments.com slash supertrain. Maybe you're working on the next Uber, Airbnb, or GitHub. Then why not use the same simple payments solution that helped them become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless, it is almost magical. You add it to your app with just a few lines of code. You're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, Braintree will support that too. Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support mean you'll always be ready, whether you're earning your first dollar or your billionth. You're going to see fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best-in-class mobile checkout experience. This is a full-stack payment solution and support for all payment types that your customers might want. Just that single integration, a few lines of code, that's going to work across all platforms with superior fraud protection, customer service and fast payouts. Please check these folks out. You go to braintreepayments.com slash supertrain. That's braintreepayments.com slash supertrain. Our thanks to Braintree for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. <laughs> so so I'm 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 so divorced from from what the from this whole not just the wedding culture, but like the the like what everyone must have gone everyone I know that's married that I don't know well enough to have been there, what they must have gone through. Well, it's it's utterly fraught because everything you're saying is true. Um, and as per usual, yeah, sure. And and, and so uh, one thing about this, yes, everything you're describing is true. Um, and ever thus, it's been, I assume, like it it is costly, it is complicated, it's emotionally difficult because there's a certain kind of like. Class sorting. You have to be the sorting hat for all of these different people and decide all kinds of things. Like, And you see this, for example, with table arrangements where you decide like who's at what table and how you're going to mix that up. And there's this constant tight... But I guess what I, what I think in general is there's this constant tightrope walk where on the one hand, like the thing is what you think those weddings are like is probably not far off what they're like because a lot of our sense of what we get about wedding, what a wedding should be is from TVs and movies and from other weddings we've been to. So on the one hand, there's this pressure to like put on this thing for your family and to an extent your friends that, because really in, in a lot of ways, weddings are about everybody but you. They're, Just they're, like funerals. Yeah, that's a really, They're not for the living. That's, that's a very, very good point. But it, it is in some ways really about throwing a party um, that's going to be this satisfying uh, ritual 
for all of the important people in your life, you have to, whether you want to or not, you kind of have to think about stepping on toes. Like, think about like, okay, is, is divorced dad going to be here and divorced mom going to be there? And is, is she going to bring her boyfriend? Oh, all that kind of who stuff. Who drinks? He drinks, right? Who, who drinks? And then who's going to walk her down the aisle? And oh. like, she wants that to be her decision. She, she might want her English professor to walk her down the aisle, but she can't because divorced dad will get mad. And, Etc. 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 But then, so, but I think there's this this line you try to walk of like making it the big event for the couple, making it the portentous, maybe even vaguely mumbo jumbo religious event, probably for some of your family. But you're also constant tightrope is you're also weighing that against like oh, but I don't want this to be a cliche. I want it. To, I want. I want mine to be different. So we're gonna write our own vows. And these days, almost everybody writes their own vows. Or you know what I mean? There's something about it. You're gonna do the flowers in this different way. And it all, it all costs money. It all takes time. It all takes resources. So, I mean, it is, it's, I mean, like, for example, my niece, for whom I was the officiant in the only wedding, she could not have been more mellow about the whole thing to where it was like, I was the one emailing her like, so is this okay? Is this all right? She's like, no, that'll be fine. Like, make, Uh make it a little bit like spiritual or something. And I was like, okay, you know, a little bit of Book of Common Prayer, funny anecdote, wear some nice shoes. That's how the Bible was written. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, where's some? It's just chill. Right? Just throwing a little some, more religious stuff. They, they yeah, got animal yeah. stories. They got fire. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There's some. Um, there's a lot of adventure. High adventure. They got magic, John. There's a lot of magic in the Bible. They got gladiators. Gladiators. You got wizards. Yeah. You got. Uh, you got healings. You got fish. Just, just throw a little bit more religious stuff in there, and we're we're good. You think that passes through like a second draft? You think it gets passed around the writers' room, and they're like, mm, "I like the loaves and fishes, but I'm not really seeing the connection with God." Well, yeah, I think it does. I think each one of the uh, I think each one of the writers had a little bit of leeway. Also, the Sadducees are coming across a little Jewy to me. Can we tone that down but, a little bit? But the thing is, then you know, then it goes to committee, right? And it's, yeah. it's the Council of Nicaea takes it apart, and then Augustine's got other things to say about well, it. You got the Diet like, of Worms. It's a, it yeah, takes it's, a long time to get a, to get a script into production. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And then you get stuck in turnaround. Well, whatever it's an that epic, is, right? It's an epic picture. You're going to have to get. You're gonna have to get a lot of. Extras. I heard they had to build the set of Cleopatra twice, because the first one was uh, they used a metric instead of instead I, of. I learned imperial about it in a four minute YouTube video, so I'm not really sure, but I think something happened with uh, Elizabeth Taylor got sick, and then they had to like use it for something else, and then rebuild the set. And even though it was the top movie of that year, it still didn't earn back. It didn't earn back. And then, that's oh, some in, that's we, some inside talk. That's some Hollywood. We lingo. have not even gotten into the whole gift conundrum. So like oh, a lot of, the, of people, uh, the wedding. yeah, so a lot of people at a wedding, you want to say, Hey, don't give us gifts. Well, you know what? Turns out that's not actually that cool of a thing to say, because oh. the thing is your aunt who loves you really wants to not just give you something, but wants to give you something memorable. You're, I don't want to be unkind, but you're kind of denying them the chance to do something that's important to them. It's oh. one of the many bullets you have to take when you're, when you're getting married. You have and to accept so, a gift. You, well, you have to register. You don't have to, but your entire family's going to be like, no, like I really want to get you something. Yeah. And then you got to figure out a range of prices. You got to, you got to put a big banger on there. So if you do something like say, Oh, we just want money toward our mortgage. Like that might not go over all that well. Some people <laughs> say like, just pay for our honeymoon that huh. some people are doing things like that. You could pay off my student debt. Well, yeah, I want to, yeah, I could do that. But like, can I get you some spoons or something? Yeah, spoons. Yeah. I do. I, some, I think somewhere a long time ago, I went to one of the early weddings, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by, by, by which I mean one of the first weddings ever. It was uh, Abraham and Sarah. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it was Abraham and Mary. Oh, Mary Abraham Todd. and Mary. Right. Sorry. Mary Todd. Um, and they said, we don't. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. You a little one for that. They, uh, they said, we don't want gifts. <laughs> this wedding's and, so depressing. <laughs> Uh, they said we don't want gifts, and so I took that to be, I I took that to be how weddings are, and uh, that I just have always extended that to every wedding. Okay, all right. So because I the first wedding I went to didn't want gifts. Yeah. Why would any subsequent? Wedding it's want a little gifts? learning pattern, and you, you yeah. internalize that. You see, that's my that's my new pattern now. I said now, the no, other thing is supposedly you got a year to give a gift. That's the conventional wisdom. Oh, so you're, one not, you're wedding, not off the hook. One wedding I went to, I did give the bride and groom very fancy matching gift uh, because I felt like I felt like the groom had done many great. Uh, he, he he had been a, a a good friend over the years, and th- this was a gro- This was a a a, a gift uh, commensurate with the amount of love that I felt. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the bride and groom received the gift very, you know, like graciously, like oh, thanks. Kind of like the way you receive a men's wallet, or <laughs> sort of like the way you. If I had handed them a casserole, and when they looked at the casserole, it had pasta, but also like M and M on the top. Uh, I wanted it to be like, special. <laughs> they were like, oh. Thanks. Yeah, like this is my family lasagna, but I added Skittles. I added Skittles because it's uh, because I love Skittles. And then those gifts, which were, you know, which were pretty nice. Like it was basically like here is here is a taxidermied ram's head. There's only one place it can go over the mantle. Right, you don't give, you don't take a taxidermy ma- ram's head and put it in the downstairs bathroom. Yeah, it comes. It's like one ram's head in ten assumptions. Yeah, right. Like, well, oh, sure. Well, first of all, that you want a ram's head, and second, right. that you're gonna you're gonna put it up. If you're gonna put it up, right? There's this whole chain of dependencies. Like, right. if I give you a, if I give you a ram's head, you're gonna be moving some shit around. Yeah, like Jason Finn of the Presidency of the United States of America has a, a great number of platinum albums because the Presidency of the United States of America went platinum. Uh, their their first album went platinum in like fifty countries or something. You Are know, you they have, kidding like, me? No, they have platinum records from Uzbekistan. Huh? Uh, they were multiple multiple platinum records. Good for uh, them in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and Europe and America. Like, and the, you know, and the and the the new style of that is instead of one big vinyl platinum record in a frame, it's like a frame with five CDs. I think today like, you just have to re-authenticate with the iTunes store and you download your record. <laughs> you download your, you get, your you, award. You get an e- e-record. But so Jason would, Jason, you know, he's not uh, somebody that's going to put a big platinum record on in his living he's room. He's got paintings. Yeah, he's got a lot of, of fantastic art, a great art collection. He's not going to, he's not going to even just have one of them, right? Like the best one. I don't know what the best one was. If you had a platinum record from Uzbekistan, if I had one, it'd Forget be- it. Front and center. No question. Uh, there And there'd be spotlights on it. But if you wanted to see any of the, uh, like, Jason kept him in the downstairs bathroom, right? Because he's like, what am I going to do with all these platinum records? And and they weren't all on display, right? It was just like sort of, oh, we'll put this here and then a couple of them in a box. And then there's, you know, we use one as a 
we put one on the on the coffee table that's in the garage that you know the coffee table that's like stacked in the garage anyway that's not what you're going to do if somebody gives you a taxidermied ram's head it's not going to fit in the downstairs bathroom there's one spot for it and so i gave them the, i gave the bride and groom this lovely gift and it just went away i never heard about it again mm. still haven't heard about it don't know where it is it's in the world somewhere i'm assuming it's not it didn't go immediately into the fire uh, it has intrinsic value, not just, not, not just like friend value. It's like a thing you could pawn. And it feels like the kind of gift that lots of families, actually one of my favorite holiday traditions in some families is like the, the, the weird gift that gets regifted every year. Mm. Have you ever run into this? The cheesecake or the, uh, the fruit cake. The fruit cake. The fruit cake. Yeah, we had an inflatable hammer um, in, in my wife's family that went around every year. But my friend Richard. Um, <laughs> is that a quasi religious gift? That's a euphemism. <laughs> Did you hide it under a bushel? <laughs> hmm. uh, my friend Richard, they, I don't know how this thing started, but there's some kind of an ugly gift. And basically, w- when you're given that gift, then you have to add something to it, like hot glue something to it, and then give it to somebody else the next year. And so the weirdness accumulates every year, and it gets weirder and stupider every year. And apparently it's a real joy of the Buckerite uh, family <laughs> Christmas. Isn't that a great idea? <laughs> that seems fun. Now, are you going to see that? I bet that's, you know what, that might be in, in Martha Stewart or Real Simple at this point. But I think that's, I think that's a good idea. As a, as, a, as a gift idea. Well, it makes like, me think that the ram's head could be something that you, uh, you then, maybe it's a wedding gift that you keep passing on to other people. It well, like that a, would have like been a kind of ad hoc monkey's paw. That would have been fine and fun if they had done that. Yeah. Did you but email I, them about it? Well, that's the problem. I don't know enough about weddings, but I get a I get a sense that I get a sense from my other from all the many faux pas I have committed in so many other areas of human life. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that once you give someone a gift, you do not. It does not come with a guarantee. Uh, like a reverse guarantee where I can call and find out what they did with it. Oh, like, it's not like saving a child. It's not like you get a letter with a picture of uh, of, of the kid that, that you gave fresh water to. Yeah, well, or I mean, you could, right? They could every year say, "Look, here it is. Here's your gift. We, you know, we take it every year ice fishing with us. Uh, it's like the mascot of our ice fishing trip every year. Thank you so much." Mm-hmm. If they don't do that, if it's just like. We'll never mention this gift again. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't call them five years later and say, hey, I was just wondering. You remember that super thoughtful gift I gave you guys? Did you ever yeah. have you seen that recently? I mean, if you're not using it. Yeah. I mean. Shit, I, dog. Give it back. I'll, I'll, I'll put it I'll up. Take it, I'll take it back. Uh, you know, I don't think you can do that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's kosher. Right. So it's been a great lesson to me in, um, letting go and letting God. Mm. Oh God, that's, you use it as a chance for self-discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm like, I still, I mean, I'm talking about it right now. I still sit and go, Hmm. I wonder what, I wonder if that's just in a box somewhere or yeah. did that get, is that did that get water damaged in the flood and and they just had to toss it? Don't want to say anything. <sighs> I, I I left a I left some stuff at a guy's house one time in uh, in the great city of Minneapolis, and it was in, it was stuff that was important to me, including some journals, some journals that I had accidentally left when I 
decamped rather quickly. And uh, for a while, we were in touch with one another. And I was like, God, hey, got to get those journals from you. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Got to get those journals from you. And he's like, yeah, uh, yeah, I got them right here. You know, I'm going to uh, I'm going to send them on. Just got to get the um, just got to figure out how the post office works. Yep. And I'm like, great. Well, I can anything I can do. Just let me know. Just should want to get those back. Yep. No problem. And then one day he said, uh, and it wasn't like he wrote me. It was that I wrote him and said, so what about the journals? Let's revisit the journals. And he said, oh, man, there was a flood. Mm. And the journals uh, got wet and they weren't really savable. So I tossed them and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I get the flood part. Yeah. Floods happen. But journals dry out too. Like you can dry a journal and, and, and potentially like there are a lot of, there's a lot of, when you're talking about a journal. Yeah. But you know, as somebody who's made a lot of lame excuses in life, I can smell that. That's, that Mm -hmm. is a lame excuse. He thought that was going to be his ticket to ride. Like, you can oh, just they're tell. damaged in a flood, and so anyway. Well, like, yeah, they're damaged in a flood, end of conversation. Yeah. And I was like, I could, if you had sent them wet, I could, I could, you know, like, baked them in the oven. Like, it's not the, it's not the paper I want, it's the words. Mm, yeah. The words, my words. Gone. Gone forever. Do you know how many journals I've lost over the years? Too many. Oh, I bet you've, oh, well, you know, and you've also had a lot of things stolen. Like, you, yeah. you lost a journal uh, with a stealing one time when you're in Europe. I've lost a few journals from stealing. <clears throat> I had a roommate one time, a young woman, who, um, who had a different idea of our roommateship than I did. Hmm. And when she moved out, she moved out mad and took my journals. What? Like, didn't take the, didn't take my art or whatever. Didn't take my guitar, which would have been a great country song. It, that you know, if she'd taken my guitar, that could be. I'd still be dining out she on that. She didn't take story. my art. She didn't <laughs> take my guitar. She took yeah. the words that mean the world to me, not the pages, but the words on the page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Took the journals. Support our troops. How weird. Does she still have them? Well, She's that, that, be- uh, that self-same primary uh, high school girlfriend, whenever I was a shitheel, and I was often a shitheel, uh, she would destroy one of my uh, cassettes. One of your mixtapes? No, no, no. Usually one of my, like, Columbia House or self-purchased cassettes. But, I like, that, that's how I lost uh, English Settlement, for example. That was, oh. that was a double LP. How did she destroy it? Like, pull the tape out? or did Oh, she, she pulled the tape her? out. Zhoo, 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 zhoo. And oh. I, t- I totally had it coming. Oh, but that's, I mean, that's like... Each pull must be even more gratifying to her. Yeah. That's not just like, I'm throwing this in the garbage. I'm not sure I really learned my lesson like, as well as I should have. It's just like every one of these pulls is just, fuck you, Merlin. Fuck mm-hmm. you. Ah, ah. That's oof. All the world is football shaped just for me to kick in space. I can hear. What is that? I can see, hear, smell, touch, taste. Hi, mm. hi. Tell mm. you a funny story. You leave something in my house, I start using it. Um, mm-hmm. 
this has happened to me on numerous occasions. Getting back to my friend Richard Butcherite, who has an excellent name. Uh, Richard uh, left a bunch of his Burning Man at the, stuff at the place. And what is Burning Man stuff exactly? It's the stuff of it's. You got the don't don't call it don't call it sand. It's dust. It's got the playa dust all over it. So yeah. like I used one of his uh, chairs from the Burning Man for a long time till that disappeared. I've used I've used his. I'm still using his sleeping bag. Wait, 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 wait. You used it until it disappeared? Is that, yeah, I left it somewhere. Is that a Hogwarts thing? It's kind of a long, strange story, but I had a chair. I left it. This is, this is not a Donovan song, but I had a chair. <laughs> I left it somewhere. It uh-huh. disappeared, and I was sad. I grew my hair. And then I came back another time, and the chair was back. But uh, then I lost it again. And Are there other agents that might be moving the chairs? or There's so many things I try not to think about too much, but I'm going to tell you a funny story about this thing right here. My friend, my friend Lance walked over to my house. I don't know if we'd been drinking together the night before, but we were both really hungover. This is probably late 1990, early 1991. He walked over to my house and uh, to hang out, and uh, we both had some ibuprofen and laid on the floor, and he had a big cup of coffee, big cup of That's- coffee. And he left his coffee cup at my house, and I am using it right this second. I, I'm using the coffee cup that Lance left at my house uh, 25 years ago. Wow. Now, I, you know, I nurse this. I use this every day. This is my office coffee cup at this point. It's a, also send me a photo. It's a nice big cup. It's, it's, like, it's almost like a stein, and it's got lots of beautiful trees on it, and it's survived all of those years. It's one of the few things in my life that hasn't broken. I, <clears throat> I love that story. Thank you. But that's just like you, you maintain that relationship um, by keeping that stuff in play. Yeah, I haven't talked to him in years, but I still enjoy his cup. He's it's not a, it's not a thing where you put yeah. it in a box and you say, oh, I've got to get this. No, it's not a collectible. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or no, I've got to get this back to him. Oh, no, no. He's never getting this back. It, it would yeah. be kind of cool. Like, especially like, you know, God forbid he's on his deathbed. I give him his coffee cup back. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's a little on the nose. There maybe if he gets married, of, if he gets married, maybe I'll bring it to him. There, it's not like you've ever left anything at my house uh, unintentionally, because it's a it's a very small number of times that you've ever left your house. That's that's true. But um, but there have been a couple of times where you you loaned me something. I've loaned, I've lent, or gifted you a strange array of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some of which we've covered before, but I really appreciate the fact that. You you're so gracious at receiving things. Thank you. No, you you really are. I mean, like where I go, like oh, here's this bag that was really expensive that I don't like, and I lost the strap. Do you want it? And you were like, you're, you're like the kid in the cafeteria. I'll have it. Huh? And then I found the strap, and I gave you the strap. You did, and that bag is a great bag. That red and bag. Did I tell you? Did I tell you that I found the matching bag? No way! It's a was it Red Ox? It's like Red a, Ox. It's a that was the bag on like those like learn how to pack one bag websites. That was the one that was recommended, and I hated it. It was you had to carry it on your shoulder, and it was like Ooh. too big. Yeah, yeah, too big for not having wheels or something. Yeah, if you're gonna pack a small bag, have the bag be small. That's a really you know what? That's a great tip. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, I do. But so I was at a thrift store months later, and I found the the identical Red Ox bag except blue. Wow, that's so cool. And, yeah, and it was only a dollar. That's a that's a costly bag. Yeah, and I said, <clears throat> Merlin told me this was a costly bag. It's obviously a costly bag by the amount of expense 
that's evident in it in the quality of its manufacture. Mm-hmm. It seems like something that was made in America. It's very, um, it's very hearty. It's a hearty bag. It's got it's, a nice, it's got know, really nice zippers on it. It's like a the beef stew of bags. Oh my god, this is more expensive than I remember. <sighs> and so I did you get so the I, one that's like a like kind of like a thick satchel? Like yeah, a, I, let's call it a thick satchel. There's one called the Mini Boss. Oh my god. Anyway, I bought the second one, and now I have a matching set. Oh, nice. Basically, they're like I could turn them into motorcycle panniers if I allowed myself to consider riding a motorcycle again. Oh, don't do that. I've, I've taken just recently. I've taken riding motorcycles out of the <clears throat> can't wait to do it any day now file and put it into. I wonder if. I'm ever going to be able to revisit that idea. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, and I don't like having done it, but you, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I don't, I kind of don't want to talk about it because I worry about you, I worry about your safety. But I could, mm-hmm. I could really see you getting a motorcycle. I could see you getting three motorcycles. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Uh, and I, you know, I could see me getting three motorcycles too. But I would need to live somewhere where it didn't rain all the time, uh, atop like the nation's like steepest most difficult hills to traverse. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, this is a stupid town to own a motorcycle in unless you have one of those motorcycles. That's um, like die, die, die motorcycle. Like if I lived in San Diego, Oh no, it's where, no brainer. It's flat and it's dry. Yeah, it's flat and it's dry. You just get on your motorcycle, put, 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 you go from place to place. If you were like a Navy seal, you're, you're at the Navy seal base. You ride out to the beach on your, on your crotch rocket. There you go. That's exactly right. But I have a, uh, I have a friend um, who was a was a uh, a Los Angelino motorcyclist who just died. Hmm. Uh, just so died sorry. when a car. He's been riding motorcycles his whole life. Oh, he's no. obviously very good at riding motorcycles. He's not. He's not like did, didn't just hop on a motorcycle. Been riding it in L.A. Oh, uh, for twenty five years and just a car. Just a car. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, not a thing that he could have done anything about. That's the thing uh, except, is that if you're a motorcycle, you just have to assume that nobody sees you. You have to, yeah, at all you know times. I mean? Like I used to say it with my though, daughter. Like I said, when we were, whenever we were across the street, I would say to her, you are a motorcycle. The thing is nobody sees motorcycles because they're not, the pattern matching for driving a car does not account for bicycles, motorcycles, anything that's not another car. People just don't right. see you. They don't see you. And the thing is they don't even see other cars. People are crashing into things all the time, and if he had been in a car, this person still might have crashed into him. It's just that he wouldn't have been, like, dismembered. You must have to become very, you know that old phrase, defensive driving. You must have to become so aware of your surroundings, you know, when you got such few square inches of tire on the road at a given time, and you've got so much potential power under you. I mean, you could, I mean... It's just, you know, in, in, almost any motorcycle you could get on and go really fast, really quickly. It Super must take a fast. lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not criticizing. I'm not, and I have a, we have a friend out there who enjoys the show. It's a motorcycle guy. And so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not ragging on motorcycles. But it must take a lot of self-restraint and a lot of self-awareness to be safe on a motorcycle. Well, this is my problem on a motorcycle because when I get on a motorcycle, I'm like a super cautious, respectful driver. And then do you know after to, do you know how to you know how to do one? You, can you can you do a motorcycle? Oh, I've driven a motorcycle across America. Okay, 
halfway oh. across America until I crashed it. Okay. Okay. But let's not let's not focus on the crashing. That's probably an outlier. Let's talk it. Let's let's focus on the this all the safe driving I did right yes. up until I crashed. Uh, <laughs> that feels like and, an important metaphor for something. And, and spent a considerable amount of time in the hospital and then went to jail. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> let's not go through that whole chain of events. Every story requires careful editing. Let's think about the good, safe time I spent on the motorcycle. Um, but I, you know, I'm a Vespa rider. Oh, of uh, course. Until very recently. But the problem is when I get on a high, po- a high po motorcycle, one that has this power that you're talking about, where you can, with a flick of a wrist, you can go from zero to a thousand. Very, very quickly, surprisingly quickly. Like shocking to myself how quickly it happens, I turn into that person where someone's in the left turn lane uh, and they're not they they and they're waiting for the traffic to come the other direction to make their turn. Someone's in the right lane with their blinker on, waiting to turn right do a do a right at the light, but there's someone in the crosswalk walking, and I thread the like three and a half feet between the bumpers of the two cars at 45 miles an hour Mm. and with the full knowledge that there's someone coming the opposite direction with their blinker on about to turn right in front of me but you see you see that opportunity and it just feels like that's a john size hole to fill here we go because i see that the people walking across the crosswalk that are blocking the guy that's about to turn in front of me are still blocking him enough that if everybody behaves perfectly rationally Mm -hmm. There's a slot here for me. And w- then I do it and and uh, my blood goes cold. And I'm like, you idiot. That is the classic s- situation. If one of those people is even slightly distracted, if one of them behaves even slightly abnormally, which everyone does all the time, then you are a casualty. If they, just stop, if they, if they stop moving in the same trajectory that you're expecting or they make a little micro change – and what they're doing. It's all it takes. Micro change. Because a lot of those are that slot isn't three feet yet. The slot has not opened yet because everybody's still slightly in motion. You're skating you where see, the puck you're skating where the puck is gonna be. That's right. You see the opportunity, right? You're leading you're 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 in a sop with camel. <laughs> you are leading the Fokker tribe wing. And that was a new that was that was brand new technology then, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and in a way, I feel like it still is a brand new technology now. But that is the thing that keep that that gets me back off the motorcycle. I park the motorcycle and I say, "Daddy's not old enough yet to drive a motorcycle, <laughs> even though he's forty seven years old. He does not have the good sense that God gave a chicken <laughs> to not <laughs> to not stand in a field and look up at the rain until he drowns." Mm-hmm. Just checking the weather. So I stop. So I stop, and then I spent. But the thing is, it doesn't stop me from st- sitting online and saying, "Wow, look yeah. at that motorcycle, boy! If I had that motorcycle, then all of my problems would be solved." I because- see. I see the appeal because it's not so different from the appeal of a bicycle, which is just this like this is this this little thing that you can get lots of, or even a skateboard. Like there's this little thing that can get me lots of places. But in that case, man, that's that's part of the American dream too. A motorcycle. Well, yeah, it's it's. I see what you're saying about the bicycle, but in another way, it's utterly unlike a bicycle. Because hmm. if you are invited to a wedding, let's say, okay. and I don't know much about weddings, hey, you haven't been to that many previously stipulated, but I'm guessing 
if you're invited to a wedding and you ride up to the wedding on a bicycle, <laughs> shing, like, shing. In, in your gear, yeah. right with your little your little flippy hat and your and your cloppy shoes and your your uh, like uh, wet pants or whatever, <laughs> like that's not how you roll. Or, or maybe like one of those rearview mirrors that's clipped to your glasses, right? That's not how you roll up to a wedding. But if you roll up to a wedding on a like on a super boss 70s style like chopped hardtail panhead. Mm, boy. <laughs> right? <laughs> I like those you words. Roll, you roll up to a wedding on on one of those in a in a tuxedo with some like some Bausch and Loam like commando sunglasses mm-hmm. with your with your date on the back with your date riding on the back fender because you don't even have a passenger you seat. paint quite a picture my friend you're you're not riding up to that wedding on a bicycle Mm-mm. you know no you're i'm sorry up, you're right you're absolutely right you are riding up to that wedding on a carpet of dreams oh my goodness on a fucking on a rain on a loud rainbow is what you're <laughs> You know, like a, a, a pop, rainbow pop, with pop, a bumper pop, sticker pop, that pop, says pop, "Loud Pipes Save Lives," <laughs> and then the wedding belongs to you, right? That's the right. bride, everything belongs to you. You could leave that wedding with whatever. You like you Paul Williams the on the Love Boat? Something that's show about Paul Williams. In this case, you you show up, you show you show up on your on your gas molly with your with your Hemi brakes, and your and your Bausch and Loam uh, uh, costume. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you're like Bugsy Malah. And the bride's thinking, man, I'd sit on that tailpipe. Hell yes. Hell, well, the tailpipe is wrapped in some, uh, is wrapped in like fabric tape. That's your gift to her. Because boom. Bum, 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 yeah, bum, right. Bum, your bum, gift bum. to that wedding is that you came. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I, I just feel like, but I had to step, I had to step back from that. And then of course the other flip, the other motorcycle is the, is the tsunami motorcycle, the apocalypse motorcycle. What what, what, that? what do you mean by that? Well, let's say you're living in Long Beach, California, or okay. Gearhart, Oregon, um, or Long Beach, Washington. Every every uh, state has a, a Long Beach. Oh, is that right? It's like a Springfield. It's like a Springfield, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or at least every beach in, on the West Coast, or every state in the West Coast, when there are only three, mm-hmm. uh, they each have a Long Beach, I'm guessing. But it seems like all there of, should be more. It seems like there should be five. All of Oregon is a Long Beach. Hmm. It's just one big Long Beach. Okay. But I want to live, I want to have a house in Gearhart, Oregon, or down by, uh, you know, down by Cannon Beach. I want to have a house right there because it's nice. And I don't, I'm, I don't want to talk about it too much on this podcast because I don't want other people to go there. No, the looky loos are going to be saying, oh, well, maybe I should get into that vertical. Yeah, like let's get down to the let's go down to the Oregon coast and get ourselves a house. And yeah, make before it the all, all the middle class white people come in and ruin it. Well, that's already happened. But well. Por- Portland is a small town relative to other cities, mm-hmm. and the number of people that the number of people that Portland can the number of like spore people that Portland can actually put out into the world to ruin everything, it's like a lot fewer people. Like Boston every day is just sending out spores that are just oh. ruining things for other people. And they, they, ruining start, things. they start with a larger number of people, right? That's, That's part right. of it, right? That's right. They're, they're in the process right now of, of ruining Western Massachusetts, which was ruined by a previous generation in a different direction, hmm. right? 
like the 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 generation in Western Massachusetts that ruined it by focusing on manufacturing and doing bad business and turning all those into abandoned factory towns. They were bad. Did did, but, did John Hodgman have any role in this? Well, he's certainly a pioneer That's of true. the uh, of the of the next generation of ruiners who were the the early middle aged, uh, you know, like uh, affluent middle-class people who are now going out to Western Massachusetts and buying old manor houses and turning them into sex dens or something. All the people, all the people that used to be, that used to be in dinosaur junior who are now living, you know, on, on 50 acres. But Shay, the, the, Shay Murph. <laughs> but I do not want, I do not want any more people my age who currently live in Portland or Seattle to go out to, uh, Cannon Beach and make it any harder to live there. Okay. But if you do live there, particularly if you live in, in Gearhart or Seaside or something like that, and you hear those tsunami sirens, which are indicating one of two things. Either there was a giant, giant, giant earthquake in Japan and you have like, mm, I don't know how many hours, but like a significant number of hours while that wave goes all the way across the ocean. Or there was just a earthquake on the Pacific plate right there. God, poor New and Zealand. That, New Zealand just wave, can't catch a break, man. New Zealand? Oh, there's a big one. There's like an eight point something in New Zealand. Oh, right. Because New Zealand is a young, young country. It's they just made a, out There of, was a terrible earthquake, uh, not to mix about me, but like right like within a day or two after we'd flown out of there, there was this terrible... Uh, earthquake there. It's so awful. God, what a wonderful country. They don't deserve earthquakes. So uh, some of our New Zealand listeners who are among our best listeners. I love that country so much. They're right now dealing with uh, dealing with earthquake aftermath. Yeah. But the, the nice thing about New Zealand, of course, is that if you leave the water, if you leave the coast and head inland, you go uphill pretty fast. Right? Like New Zealand's not a swampy country. Mm-mm. Right. You're, you get... The the secret to getting away from a, a, a an ocean wave is to go up. Ocean wave, right? Okay, yeah. Right here comes ocean wave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Head up, find the most up place you can be and go there. Okay. If you're if the nearest up place is like a tower made out of toothpicks that somebody made for a science fair, oh, that's not enough. Okay. Go if you can find upland, go upland. But if you're on the Oregon coast, the upland is just far enough away you can see it but you can't run to it so so how do you how do you decide how to proceed uh in the event you wanted to um uh, get some kind of uh uh oregon beachfront property what's your thought process for deciding uh what to do about that here's what i'm assuming yeah you're buying your oregon coast property you already have a vintage four by four because that's one of the first things you should get Mm. right Mm -hmm. vintage four by four that's like that's like long time before you're thinking about a beach house but when you get the beach house you realize my vintage four by four is just exactly like everybody else's vintage four by four out here there's only one road out of town and it's going to be it's going to be completely jammed with vintage four by fours and you're done. You know, 
mm-hmm. you like pile everybody in the vintage four by four and say, we're headed to the hills. No, you die in a traffic jam. So hmm. what you need is two. Oh, so it's, the, it's the greater four by four theory. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. What you need is two high powered enduro motorcycles that are gassed up and ready to go with with side you know oh. side, with like hard case side bags. And so you're hacking the system a little bit. That's right. Mm-hmm. And you and whoever you're with, whether it be your spouse or significant other, you have both practiced this, where you run out to your covered secret garage. Mm-hmm. Hop on the motorcycles, boom, boom, and then you're off. And you are using the roads only as much as needed, but you have a route that you can do if the roads are all jammed full of You've rehearsed this. this It's a bug out. It's a bug out. It's a bug out. We've rehearsed this. Right. We don't have to... We don't have to. The, we don't have to have enough gear to survive for forty days. We just got to like, survive further than you. That's like right. Outrunning the tiger. All we have to do is get. All we have to do is close the distance between us and five miles from here, like as fast as we can, uh, on the assumption that everybody else is going to be trying to do that at the same time, but they're not going to have these high-powered motorcycles. Oof. And then once you get there, you watch the wave come in. You feel, yeah, I mean, obviously you're not gloating. You feel bad for everybody. Sure. Uh, and then the wave goes out. You, you don't go back immediately because there's going to be that next wave, second wave, uh, like wave 2.0. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then when the waves calm down and everything and, and everything go, goes back to just being like a big, huge burning garbage heap, mm-hmm. like you're, you've got your motorcycles you, in the saddlebags, you had presumably a key to your normal house. And some rain jackets or whatever, and you're you're like you've survived. Oh, also you have to teach your kids to grab onto the back like little baby monkeys. Okay. Grab onto the back of your jacket and hold on for dear life. Like everybody's got to know what to do. And these are not the kinds of decisions you you uh, want to be thinking about for the first time on bug out day. Sure. When you hear the tsunami silent sirens, that is not the time to go to the motorcycle store and start shopping for a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. But these motorcycles are expensive, and so it's it would be pretty weird to buy them and just keep them as tsunami motorcycles, right? You'd you'd also want to well, ride I mean, them. You're, you're not Batman, right? Right. And I mean, you don't you have, don't, you don't have like specific motorcycles for spe- specific occasions. It's not like a cummerbund, right? Right. Yeah. Although all you need is one cummerbund. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. You just get a black satin cummerbund. That's right. So you got to avoid the jokey, like uh, you don't, don't you don't, don't want do a plaid it. or something. Don't do. It. Don't okay. do. It. Don't if you're if you are in a wedding party, and you're and you have uh, ties and cummerbunds that match one another. Oh dear. Uh, you're you're already in the wrong wedding party. You should mm. not be friends with those people. I wish people could bring us in to help with those kinds of things. We could we could help you see now. In my case, I've been to a lot of weddings. John's officiated a bunch of weddings, but hasn't been to many. I think we yeah. could bring a really fresh eye to somebody's wedding. And we could probably save you some money. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the craziest thing about weddings that I hear about, which is we tried to do this a different way. We tried to have fun with our wedding. And the further we got into having a wedding, we realized that there's an industry of people who are trying to tell you you can't have fun. You just have to do it a certain way. And that way costs – it's like it's like my mom used to say about going to the hardware store down by the yacht club. She said, all the stuff at the hardware store that's in town 
costs right. one quarter of the, the price of the same exact thing at the hardware store by the yacht. Buy club. your sunscreen before you get to the resort. Because mm-hmm. if you buy it in that little that little uh, tumble down fish shack, oh brother, you're gonna. So pay if you say, if you say, hey, we'd like to rent your event space because we are uh, we want to have a big paintball expo, we want to we want to fill this place with smoke machines and play laser tag. Yeah, they're gonna quote you a price. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's fifteen hundred dollars to rent our place for a, your smoke machine laser tag. Party. Do not mention you want a paintball wedding because that word. <laughs> Order of if magnitude. You, that's right. If you're like, we're going to fill this place with smoke machines and have a laser tag wedding. Whoa. Hello. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. Seven grand. <sighs> but the problem is you can't fake them out because people smell weddings. So you're like, hey, we're just having a big laser par- tag party here. Well, it's like, like, trying to, it's like trying to tell your, trying to convince your plumber the, the problem's not a big deal before they come out and thinking you're going to pay less because of that. You know, <laughs> they, they do this every day. Yeah, that's they, right. they dealt with these, uh, these uh, paintball pikers. Yeah, this isn't their first rodeo. So, and and it, and and every case they're like, it's not their oh, first day. We're gonna. It's not. Is this your first day? Uh, like, I I would think that at your wedding, knowing you, yeah, um, that you would have tried to have it catered by Subway. Mm. But I even, had Popeyes at my thesis defense. Really? Mm-hmm. My baccalaureate. Yeah, I had. Uh, we brought in uh, like forty pieces of Popeyes. I'm going to be honest with you. Some people were not there just to hear about cultural criticism and TV. I think some people were there for for a spicy breast. So you made your thesis defense an event that people came, people came and like cocktail party at the, my school. Every baccalaureate uh, defense is a uh, it's a public event. Anybody can come. I see. I see. I see. And boy, there's some tough ones. Mine, mine was you know, mine was easy. The first Thanksgiving I ever spent away from home. I got a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and went to a pro wrestling match. Oh, wow. Ain't that, was, ain't that America? That was my thesis defense. And that, again, Minneapolis. I don't know why I keep coming back to Minneapolis. Mm. You want to talk about the election? You and me? Yeah. Sure. I don't know. I mean, people, people have been fast-forwarding through like an hour and nine minutes to get to this. <laughs> Listening to it on 4X. Election. Yeah, that you know, I I just want to say to everybody out there, I'm grateful you listen to the show. But when you send your plaudits for how much you enjoy the whole show, when a third of the time that the show takes to listen to has passed, it gives me the fear. People are listening to the show very quickly. You and me? Yeah, not not us. I don't listen to anything. Of, uh, well, you don't listen to podcasts, but I always right. listen at uh, you know a reasonable speed. But some people they listen to the show very quickly. That's how they get through the backlog. That's how they get through through so many shows. Uh, really, I, I, I couldn't imagine listening to this program on fast speed because of how important some of the pregnant pauses are, Mm. right? Like there are a lot of times when you let a beat go by and the beat is as eloquent as anything. Is anything you say? The beat, the beat tells a story. Yeah. And, uh, and those beats I think are lost if you if you change the tempo at all, I always think of that interview that um, Ira Glass did with Mike Daisy after it was revealed that uh, Mike Daisy's expose of the Apple factories in China was not, you know, one hundred percent copacetic fact wise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's one point in that interview when he asks Mike Daisy something, and there's a pause. It, you know, you know how it is with these kinds of things. It felt like it was two minutes long. It was probably like eight seconds. Uh-huh. But like, if you didn't hear that pause, you didn't really hear that interview. Sure, you missed the whole thing. 
It's like Sean always says, you know, sometimes the rests are as important as the notes. The rests, right. I don't too think many Sean notes for the ear that, to hear. But no. I don't know if Sean says that, but I feel like we should give him some credit. Sean says too many notes for the ear to hear. Mm. That's what Sean says. <laughs> too many notes for the ear to hear. Uh, was it Leopold? What's his name? Uh, Jeffrey, uh, uh, Jeffrey Jones played him. Uh, played Sean Nelson? Yeah, he played Sean Nelson in that movie with uh, Salieri. Yeah, yeah. Too many notes. Too many notes for the year to hear. I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't don't listen to this program on anything other than the speed that we record it, because that's one of the tenets of it. Otherwise, you're banned, as David Reese would yeah. say. You're banned from the show. That's right. I, I, don't, I just I feel like um, I don't at this moment have a lot to say, but I feel like our listeners probably are looking forward to what you have to say. And I, I don't know if you talked about this with Dan. I don't think you did. Mm-hmm. Did you? Uh, Dan also, I mean, Dan started the the podcast and it was like, what, the day after the election, two days later. Mm-hmm. And he was like, boy, you know, I sure did have a lot of oatmeal this morning or whatever. He was like, let's talk about dinosaurs. And we got about this far into the show, an hour or so, and I was like, Dan, are you sincerely going to try and not talk about the election, you know, like 24 hours after the election? And he was like, basically like, what election? I mean, it went, and it was, and it seemed like that, that, pretty, that, That's a good summary of almost every conversation with Dan. That's pretty, it was, it was pretty brilliant though. I, I like, I sat on the toadstool of it, <laughs> uh, smoking my hookah and said, wow, like namaste sensei yeah and we just kept talking about our our pillboxes and uh and like finger like like uh, finger chimes serenity now <laughs> and and so what that did was it kind of put me in a it put me in a place where i was like huh do i have a hot take that is worth a good goddamn and oh and that can't wait do i have a hot take that can't wait yeah, because I uh, uh, for the last week I have logged onto the internet every day. I have read up just through a few things and have just not like slammed my computer shut, just very slowly shut my computer and said, "This is not there. This is not helping." Um, listening to people yell at each other is not helping. Listening to people blame each other is not helping. And listening to people tell me and other people what is what reality is or what our obligation is and, or and how you, and how you should feel how you should feel yeah. how you shouldn't feel is a big thing how you're how you're not entitled to feel how you're not entitled to feel is a thing how you need to be quiet or how you don't need to be quiet how you like, you are absolutely admonished to, to, to never be quiet again or that your voice isn't needed right now because you are part of the problem. And so you absolutely should shut up like every single thing has not helped. Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing chores. I've been eating cereal. I've been taking care of my kid and, and doing the things that are right in front of me with the kind of like, uh, with the quietude of knowing that I am not like my online participation is not needed. Right. And, um, and nothing's going to change as a result of it right now. I will rejoin this conversation in a little bit. I've, it's not that I haven't been thinking about it, but like 
I, I didn't. And, and immediately afterwards, I had so many hot takes. Yeah. I had hot takes. It was hot takes all the way down. And I had lectures I was going to give about it. And I had, you know, like I had, uh, I was making PowerPoints in my mind, even though I don't know how to make a PowerPoint. Yeah. You don't need to know in your mind. You can always do a tutorial later. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. I could I'd just go on YouTube and learn to play the harmonica. Slide. But I, but, you know, maybe it was the, uh, maybe it was like the, 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 the Buddha, the, like it was Dan Buddha Jimin. <laughs> who, who mm. made me realize that? I wish I could unhear say, that. <laughs> to say, what election? What was there an election? Was like, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I, I, I. So just, um, I did a. We were talking about whether we should do a show late last week, and I had asked if you wanted to, and then in that interregnum, I had scheduled a show with my friend uh, John Gruber. So Gruber. I've already talked for two hours about how I feel about what happened with uh-huh. feelings. Mm-hmm. And um, and people liked it, right? People were, were grateful. Um, yes, I got teary from what some people said, because like, you know, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, I'm another white guy, but like, uh, it hurt. This has hurt my heart a lot. But I, so anyway, I just want to say like that's that's a place where I have discussed that it's not so much to encourage you to listen, but to like that gave me a little bit of like getting through the first part, which is just the feelings. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I would like to say I'm further along than that um, six days later. Um, and I have so many conflicting things going on right now. One of those conflicting things is I still haven't gotten past the feelings part. And I and so. I'm not, I don't, I'm not really, I'm not trying to criticize, um, anybody's strong feelings that aren't mine, but like, there's this part of me that says I need to sit with this for a little while. And I understand the, I, I feel like I absolutely understand the, like, no, it's time to get to work. I do understand that. And I respect that. And like, I subscribed to the New York times finally yesterday. <laughs> like, I know that's not a lot, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, and for myself, like maybe, maybe this is something we should take a little bit more time with. Because I don't think we need more hot takes right now. And um, I, I, I hope people will take this in the spirits it's intended. But like, there is this impulse in me that I can locate as feeling very similar to an impulse that I would feel at a time when, uh, say, I was in college and got very upset about something happening, happening in the community or in politics. And I'm trying to. I'm trying to set that feeling aside. I'm leave it, right? I'm trying to put that aside for just a little while until I feel, figure out a little bit more about the feelings part, which I know is a very privileged place to be. But like, I don't know what I could say right now that would make a huge difference. I'm not ready to try and say anything intelligent yet. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but like for myself, it's just I'm not ready for the fray yet. And, um, that probably makes me less of a citizen. I might look back at this, this week and say, wow, I wonder how much opportunity I lost by not jumping on to something. <clears throat> I, I'm, I feel I'm, like, I'm just not ready to do that yet. I feel like the answer is none, like, uh, none. And, and partly for myself, it is that, uh, like I have very strong feelings, obviously, like as it was unfolding, I was... I, I had no idea that I would feel that strongly. Um, but I was wrong. I was, I was 
profoundly wrong about a lot of things. My take leading up to it was wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people were wrong. Most people were wrong. No, it's one of of those rare occasions where when we say everybody was wrong, we don't mean everybody was wrong on one quote unquote side. There's almost nobody that was right. Nobody was right. Nobody. And you know, like, for example, like, you know, people are really hard on 538 right now. But one thing that I think is interesting about what 538 says is they're trying to show you, first of all, these are not our polls. These are other people's polls. But I'm, I'm really interested in that idea of like, here's the polls and here's how confident we are in the polls. It's not just that we saw, and so, so stepping away from that for a minute, it's that we saw the world in this certain way and to, for myself, to a like fairly high 80% plus level of certainty that I was seeing something that was true or feeling something that was true, right? Isn't that part of it? Right, right. There was not, well, I, I was not, I was not actually fraught with self-doubt until somewhere around 5.30 or 6 on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, I was doing a show that night and we were backstage. Oh, that's right. You did, you yeah. went through with the show? Yeah. With the we paintings? were backstage like eating the little petty fours yeah. and tuning our guitars and imagining that we were about to do a show that was full of triumph and like our first female president. And immediately before we walked on stage, we all like looked at our phones to see what was going on. And 538 right in front of our eyes went from 85% uh, certainty that uh, that Ms. Clinton would be elected, uh, Secretary Clinton, uh, to 65% to 51%. And we were like, say what? And then we took the stage. And on stage, all of us were like stunned, deer in the headlights level of stunned. And I was hosting the show. And we're three of us sitting on stage with guitars. And then there was a poet and then a woman painting while we were doing the show. It was, it was this kind of show. And I said to the audience, look, uh, things are not, uh, things are changing very rapidly. I would like to say everyone turn their phone off and let's just be in the room together for two and a half hours listening to music and, and being part of art. And I, everybody agreed and we just sat and like, uh, it didn't banish the feelings, but I had the, I and my Uh, And the audience and my fellow musicians had two more hours of just listening to one another play and enjoying like friendship and, and guitar. (laughs) It's Um, like you got to stand there next to the band playing near my God to thee as the, uh, (laughs) Uh but, but then when we rejoined the world, it like fait accompli, right? It had happened and we didn't have to sit there for that two and a half hours, like watching uh, everything crumble. We just were like playing our guitars. And then we came back, we landed on the earth again and we're like, well, guess what? Like everything's different. But here's the, here's my feeling, right? Is that I was wrong. Everybody was wrong and not just wrong about what, you know, not, not just wrong by 10 degrees, but like wrong about what is going on. And, immediately what I saw was all these people that were wrong thinking that their wrongness was an anomaly and now they were right again about everything. They could begin immediately to say what needed to be done, to say what other people needed to do, to start talking about what needed to be done immediately That and if we didn't do it, we were on the wrong side of history, talking about who was, who, how it, how, whether 
you should wear a safety pin or shouldn't, whether you should organize or not, whether you should be in the streets or not, whether everybody was right again instantly. And for me, I said, my reaction was, I was fucking wrong and I do not presume to be immediately right about. Maybe, maybe we need to just be wrong for a little while. Like sit on your fucking wrong and think about how wrong you were and how that wrongness reverberates through your other certain certitudes. And that isn't, I mean, that is healthy and that is, that will affect what you do next, which hopefully is, is different. You don't just come back into a thing and say, well, I was right about everything. And this, and this election, which I was, which it turns out I was completely wrong about just confirms how right I was, which is a, which is a, a a fallacy I've seen repeated a thousand times. Like right up until this election, I was saying all these things that I was confident I was right in. This happened negating everything and it proves how right I was the whole time. And if it turned out differently and the other side did that same thing, you tear them apart for not being realistic. At, well, and, and say, everything. How, how could you not accept these results? And the, and this business about like do, you have you you cannot have any sympathy or consider the other side because that empowers them or that normalizes them. And you know the fact is it just got normalized. Like I'm not normalizing them by saying, "Huh, <laughs> whoa," um, by not immediately you know uh, by not going at them with the same language we were going at them before that produced the results that we didn't anticipate, right? I mean, we did not, by, by virtue of our fury at the, at the racism, sexism, and in, like just, I mean, racism and sexism, even, even those things are like subsumed beneath just the pure insanity of electing someone who has never for a minute uh, done any government work. That's that, you know, that's just like, what? And, you know, for, for my part, my first thought was we have on both sides of the aisle become a country that is convinced that our problem is elites. Both the, both the people on the conservative side and on the liberal side are convinced that it is elites who are the problem and the solution is a populism, a populist movement where we put outsiders in. And the further left you go, the more that conviction is true and the further right you go, the more that conviction is true. That we are in combat culturally with these elites who are keeping us out, and on the left we think it is elites that are per, that are that are uh, promulgating a white supremacy and a patriarchy, and we need to oust those elites and put neophytes in those positions because people with no experience but with conviction are better in those jobs than people who have dedicated their lives to administration, to government, to thoughtful action, to moderate behavior. We need them out. 
And, and have, to, to people who've done the job, but have also had to deal with the harsh realities of having to deal with people who don't agree with you, that maybe have right. more power than you, but have to find a way to Compromise get something happening. and negotiate and and facilitate a best practice, even if it even if it isn't the most beautiful or the most radical. And on the right of this equation, there are people who feel like the elites are per- perpetuating a um, a snobby East Coast dominated pr- prissy. Uh, pretentious lecturing hectoring form of social engineering and they need to eliminate the elites in order that real people who have real concerns who are real and authentic who have who haven't like uh, in Donald Trump's case even read a book that they are better suited to this like to this job, which is a job. When I ran for office, I ran thinking this very thing, that the people in, uh, that were running downtown Seattle, the city council, was full of insiders who, you know, who couldn't see beyond the end of their nose, who were compromised by their affiliations, who were in bed with business, and what they needed in there was some fresh blood in the form of me, a uh, like a freewheeling, fun-loving, smart guy who, who saw the problems in the city clear-eyed and was going to roll in there and, and sh- just shake everything up and be somebody that sat on the city council with a little bit of an ironic smirk. And when problems came across the desk, I would just know what to do. And I wouldn't, ha- I wouldn't be in bed with anybody. And as I started to run and said, well, the first thing we need to do is build a unified transit system. And the first person I met, you know, who was a 21-year-old intern for somebody said, well, I mean, you'd never be able to pay for that because the state legislature passed a law 15 years ago that – limited the amount, limited the ability of the city of Seattle to raise money via taxation. And so the state government would never pay for this transit program. And the city of Seattle cannot, does not have the taxing authority to pay for it either. So what's your next plan? And I was like, what? Because I didn't know that the state legislature had passed this law and having passed it, the city, the city of Seattle was bound by it and the legislature was not going to overturn it because, because, uh, six tenths of the legislature is from Moses Lake and Spokane and Enumclaw and places where they don't share Seattle's values. So as I went through the process of running for office, every step along the way, I realized this is people's profession and they've spent their whole careers. It's, isn't it? I mean, it's a craft. It's, a, it's absolutely a craft. And when somebody comes to the city council and they say, I want to raise the height limits in this zip code so that I can build an 80-story apartment tower. Uh, where the you know the cheapest apartment is a million five. There are forty other groups 
that feel like they're stakeholders in that choice. And each one of them has a whole camp train of history and of uh, history with the city, their own constituency, their own like logical worldview. They're all, they're all, all those worldviews are logical from within and all 40 of those group, I'm not talking about 40 people who have stakes, but 40 groups of people that have stakes in that decision who want to talk to the city council and tell them and explain their patiently explain and angrily explain their consistent worldview that from within consumes them. They absolutely know they're right that that apartment building is going to create more homelessness or that apartment building is going to raise the tax base, which will enable us to help the homeless or that apartment building is going to, you know, the fact that it, it needs to be union or the fact that it doesn't need to be union on ad infinitum. And so to sit on that bench and do that work well is a lifetime job or, or a job that, that you there, you do need preparation to do. You do need to have a certain personality and you, and it isn't just a matter of kicking your feet up on the desk and saying, you know what sounds good to me? Do it or it, don't do it. It seems like you could look to somebody like a, let's say a veteran, um, journalist who has been walking through the corridors of power for years. And that person might roll their eyes at somebody who says, oh, I'm going to come in and be an outsider. And the fact that I don't know very much and don't have a plan helps me to not cloud my ideological vision for what needs to happen because reasons. Like, so somebody who's in that position as, you know, again, like a, somebody who's a very, very good journalist or a scholar knows all of that stuff, but, but even they have never done the job. And when you get in and do the job, you not only know or not only exposed to and know all of that complexity, but then you have all the extra added complexity. Like I'm kind of just repeating what you're saying, but like, that's, that's the part that I, that I always think about. Like, I mean, I could have the best idea in the world for how the plumbing in my house should work, but being an outsider when it comes to plumbing does not make me better at it than somebody who's done it for 20 years. But for somebody who understands the actual, like, you know, you think about somebody who's really an expert at somebody, it's not just somebody who knows how to do it. It's not just somebody who's done it repeatedly. It's not just somebody who's done it enough to be good at it, but it's somebody who sees things you can't see and that can't even really be explained to you. And that comes across as a certain kind of cynicism or hollowness that, you know, no, you're just a pure politician now. But it's also that they understand how many people in a position of power are going to be making calls when you decide to change the height limit. Yeah. You, haven't, you haven't thought about that because you have this pure vision of how that should be. But somebody who's done that job, that, that seemingly callow person who has that job, has done nothing but deal with that the entire time they have that job until it becomes well, almost a primary part is learning how to deal with what everybody wants. And that looks like callowness. Yes, exactly. But, but what, so, so, uh, you know, if there is a, if I did have a hot take personally, internally, it was that watching, you know, watching the people that I follow, the people that I agree with immediately frame what happened in a way, in a self-serving way. 
so that what they could maintain was their conviction that what we needed to do was get the elites out. And now there was a new set of elites, a new set of people that were, that were supporting and confirming their belief that this elite structure was what was in our way. And what we needed to do was get the people in there. Even though the person that just was elected was elected precisely because his argument was we needed to get the elites out. And so I, you know, I watched my whole world and am, and continue to watch it on Twitter. Um, and, and the thing is we are fighting against racism. We are fighting against sexism and these are noble goals. And this is a lifetime fight for all of us and will be a lifetime fight for our children. Like this is our side of the mission of creating the world we want to see. But that doesn't, that the nobility of that project does not necessarily validate all of our processes. It doesn't reflect back and say, and then give us the, the, the right to say that our methods are correct because our goals are noble. And I am increasingly inclined to say people who have devoted their lives to government are not the enemy. People who have people who work on behalf of others, even if we don't agree with them or we in our conspiratorial sense that the world is pitted against us, even if all evidence points to the fact that that person has actually is full of self-sacrifice and has devoted their lives to helping others, which in my opinion, Hillary Clinton has done, right? Like she has not enriched herself. She's not poor. Her husband has made a lot of money. She gets paid for speeches. I wish to fucking God I got paid for speeches uh, the way that she, she does. That's not, I mean, there are people right now my age who are worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for doing nothing for sitting and transferring money from one bank to another, their whole careers to say that Hillary Clinton is corrupt is just like, you don't understand what a lifetime of service looks like, but there are, there are so many people out there whose business is government and whose work is in the world of, of, uh, like, the, the social sciences uh, who work at the state department their whole lives, who work in the diplomatic corps, and anyone on either side of the aisle is going to point to these people and say they are elites that are keeping that are that that are keeping this system that we disagree with in 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 power. And I look at them now and I say, thank God for you. And I do not want the people. I do not want, I do not believe that the people marching in the street know better necessarily. I don't think that they are the people I want to hold elective office. I don't want a revolution. I want a slow, methodical march in the hands of, of people who have made the study of this their life's work. And I believe that that will result in justice because I think justice is inevitable. Like I think equality 
And this is the slow march of history argument that makes people really mad who think that they can yell and make history march faster. And we, and there's plenty of, plenty of examples of like move, things do move faster, but things have just moved back. You know, this has been a, this has been a big correction, a bad back correction. And all it does is confirm to me that like you make a big stab, things change and then, you know, and then the people that want it a different way push back and, but the march of history is what I'm, what I count on. And I hope that this era where this Jacksonian sense that, that like people throw down their hoe and march on Washington with their, you know, with their bag of cornmeal over their shoulder and say, I can do government better. You know, they can't. We, we can't, we, I believe in like, I don't believe in the, in the electoral college anymore, <laughs> but you know, I believe in elected representatives and we've just elected a, a, a big pile of garbage to that role. And that is giving me pause and that's making me feel like. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I do know that one, that equality is that we have more equality today than we've ever had and that the current administration can't take that away and things are ugly on the street right now, but you know that, uh, but I'm not redoubling my effort to do what I, what I was doing a month ago. I'm, Eating cereal, doing chores. 